Making sense of a haunted situation is not always the easiest thing to do. There's different ways, different strategies that some people employ to try and do such a thing, but none of them are really truly foolproof. Hence why there's still a lot of skepticism out there about even the existence of ghosts. It's not something that we have a ton of what you would consider to be hard evidence in a scientific setting to to prove. We have millions and millions of stories of encounters, but it's not something that's easily set up as far as an experiment goes scientifically to be replicated over and over to prove. But obviously, a lot of us who are part of the show and listen to the show, we're already at the level of accepting this stuff exists. Here's our stories. We're not crazy. On today's episode of Real Ghost Stories Online, we hear about several encounters with spirits, some where it's an experiment, some where others are kind of aware, kind of wondering if this is actually happening. We hear about spirits driven by a need, a need to be known, especially if no one is around anymore who remembers them. And then a friend who dabbles in the occult invites another friend to stay over for a few nights without any sort of explanation why. Just, hey, come over, we'll have fun. Turns out to be an unexpected, dark experiment with consequences that were unintended. And then spirits torment a woman as she struggles to make sense of her father's death. Very vulnerable, very open. And they take full advantage of that. Great stories today. In EPP bonus episode number 255 of Real Ghost Stories Online. My name is Tony Bruschi. Stay with us. If a loved one passes before many of us get a chance to love them and and be aware of them in our own living realities, can they feel sadness? Can they feel loneliness on the other side? If they're not thought about much, if they're not talked about much, if they're, they're not recognized as even having existed? It's one of those things you wonder about when you walk through an old cemetery. At least I do. All these grave markers that at one point had a lot of love and attention brought to them from their immediate family members. He would go and visit, put flowers out, take care of the stone, and then eventually those members passed. And then maybe a grandchild or or great relative still knew who was there, but, you know, I never really met them. The attitude goes. And slowly but surely, the memory of that person, other than just being a name and some dates on a piece of marble in a field, is all that remains. Stones crumble, stones fall, people don't take care of it. Is that person still feeling anything? Does that person still care? Are they wondering, huh? 
Is anyone ever going to remember me or know anything about me? In our next story, we hear about a connection and a communication from the other side from someone who is feeling just that. Wanting to be recognized, wanting to be known that they once existed. Take a listen. I want to start out by saying that some members of my family, myself included, are sensitive. They have the gift or are psychic, depending on which set of beliefs or rules you personally align yourself with. Supernatural occurrences are pretty commonplace and are often swapped back and forth with a degree of benign regularity. But most of these stories are dull and relatively boring. Things like, I saw a woman in period clothing walking around this address or saw a dead relative again today. Thought you'd like to know that they seem well. I've seen dead relatives before, too. I was even able to point out specific wrist watches or hat pins used by people who had died decades before I was born and whose encounterment I had never seen either due to it being lost, sold, or given to relatives who live states or countries away. So when I say dead people never rattled my cage until this event, I want you to understand the depth of my sentiment truly because... As it stands to this day, dead people walking, talking, touching, and interacting with me never, ever got my dander up until one day when I had spiked a nasty fever. When I was about 16, going on 17, close family friends were organizing a trip across the states to visit relatives in the fall. The children of this family were a few years older than me, but the daughter had been my closest friend for close to six years and invited me along to keep her company. I was very excited to go, and my mom seemed equally excited to have the apartment to herself for upwards of a week and a half. I found out years later that I was invited because my father had passed away not too long prior, as well as all of my grandparents. Some uncles and aunts and some cousins had almost died. The parents of this family noticed that I was becoming a recluse and losing myself to mourning, so they wanted to spirit me up and get me away to a happy family event where I could feel less alone and cut off. I still hold that trip close to my heart to this day. Anyway, as sort of an amuse-bouche to the trip itself, I stayed at their house a few days before us leaving to help them pack, clean, and board the patch as a courtesy and to start sorting out of uh, paying my way as a thank you. Once the house was sorted, the pets were staying with local friends. They went out as a family to get the vehicles up to snuff for the trip and to the local mechanic and buy gifts for their relatives. I offered to stay behind to do last-minute packing and get the luggage by the garage, which was connected to the living room. I'd been feeling a bit under the weather for a few days, but I chalked it up to allergies since mine are pretty severe in the autumn times. After making a neat pile of luggage by the garage door, I felt a huge drop of sweat splash onto my hand. I finally realized how horrific of a flop sweat I was experiencing, but chalked that up to all of the lifting and moving, almost two weeks' worth of stuff, nine people. It wasn't until my head began violently swimming I noticed how badly my hands were shaking and how I felt frozen to the bone in spite of the profuse sweating and reasonably layered clothing I was wearing. I went to the bathroom to take my temperature and check my reflection. 108 Fahrenheit with no color in my face to speak of. I looked like I had been thrown into the same vat of chemicals Jack Nicholson's Joker got flung into, but grosser. <laughs> 
Since I had no health insurance, no money, and we were well below the poverty line, I got the only medicine I could afford at the time. The water from my buddy's kitchen tap. I brought the water with me to the living room so I could sit on the couch by the garage door. That way, when my friend's family came home, I could let them know I wasn't well, that I shouldn't attend the trip. Before I could reach the couch, I had a seizure. I've had seizures my whole life, ever since I was young and even up until the present day, so I can say with authority that that's what happened. I woke up on the ground covered in water with my whole body aching from falling on the floor. I heard someone clear their throat from the couch, so I flipped my attention over there, assuming someone was home. Sitting with his legs, politely crossed with a younger guy who was nude, but looked coated in a thick, dark, brackish fluid that I can only compare to glue mixed with bog water. He looked familiar, but not in the way of I've seen them before, but can't recall. More in the way of I should know you or be able to place you, but I can't. As if his features were hyper-familiar, but the order of placement is what made them foreign. He was white like me, had a similar mouse-brown hair, blue eyes, and was almost alarmingly tall. He looked close to uncomfortably folded at the hips and back just so that he could sit on the petite-ish love seat and be able to see me on the floor over his knees. You look bad, he said. He was smiling at me sadly. At this point, I'm thinking this dude is either a fever dream or a regular dream. I didn't respond to his comment, but shut my eyes, determined to wait until I either fell asleep or someone found me. It's rude to give me the silent treatment when I've done nothing wrong, he said, almost coyly. That was the exact statement my mother constantly made, mostly during my teen years. So I looked at him again, because it could have been coincidental, but was still surprising to hear that sentence come from anyone but my mother. He said, you're you because I'm not me, because I am like this, you aren't, you're like that. He pointed to himself and then to me when appropriate. It's complicated. Point being, Dad said you can't be like this. He pointed to himself. You have to be like that and pointed to me. I'm sorry, I'll be fast. After he said that, I had another seizure, this time coming around in my friend's bed from her shaking me violently. She was furious that I had broken a glass of water all over their area rug, not cleaned it or even mentioned it, then just taken a nap in her bed. I wrote up the whole experience as a fever dream, told her I was sick, and her tune changed. She got a thermometer and checked my temp, 98.5. I've always run cold. I was surprised that my friend was so wrapped up in shoving me towards the mess that I made and being upset that I'd lied about being sick that I decided not to share the experience. We went on the trip without a hitch, and I had a lovely time. Fast forward to the present, I'm approaching 30 years old, but that moment stuck with me as odd. It was needlessly cryptic, yet mind-bending, familiar, and foreign. I had no explanation, hints, or logic to reason and wave it off. I kept it to myself because of this, figuring that sometimes a weird experience can just be a dream. A few months ago, while on a phone with my mom, she brought up my children and how happy she is that they were born happy and healthy. I asked why she would think that anything other than that would happen, and she mentioned how her bloodline has a history of brutal miscarriages during the late stages of pregnancy. I was furious that she never brought this up when I was pregnant, especially because both pregnancies were rough, and I almost died twice due to severe nausea and seizures that resulted in me choking on my own vomit and bile and required resuscitation. I'd never brought this up to her since she's always been a few hairs shy of being a full-blown hypochondriac by proxy when it comes to me. I asked who in our family had miscarried, and she sheepishly mentioned that she had lost a boy shortly before I was conceived. They had named him, brought him blankets, and even built out a whole nursery before he had just slipped away within her 
and my mother had gotten sick. They let the hospital dispose of the undeveloped fetus, washed their hands to the tragedy, and never spoke of it again, especially once I came along. According to her, my birth was akin to closing one book and opening another, so they never felt the need to mention my brother that wasn't. Partially so, as not to scar me in some specific way, but also so as not to bring up their own old trauma. It was only then that I realized why that male apparition had seemed so tantalizingly familiar and so repulsively alien. He had dad's nose and height, but mom's eyes and face shape, dad's ears, mom's hairline, dad's barrel back, mom's crooked mouth line. He was an amalgamation of the characteristics I lacked, almost like if we had split the genetics straight down the middle and each had a sort of yin to my yang medley of our parents. When I got off the phone, I felt a huge weight pressing into my back, and I heard a man's voice, close to tears and barely louder than the organic white noise of the room, say, She remembers me? It felt like I was being hugged by someone considerably larger. I'm 5'3", so that's not hard. But the crushing sort of hug that people do when they need it, you know? And that's where we're going to pause the preview portion of EPP bonus episode number 255 of Real Ghost Stories Online. Find out what happens as we try and answer the question of are spirits driven by a need to be known, especially if no one is around to remember them? Then we'll get into another story where a friend who dabbles in the occult invites a friend to stay over for a few nights and an unexpected dark experiment ensues. Also, spirits torment a woman as she struggles to make sense of her father's death. They see it as an open opportunity to just jump right in there. Some great stories in this EPP bonus episode. To hear the full thing, become an extra podcast person. That's an EPP. Sign up at ghostpodcast.com or through patreon.com slash real ghost stories. It's only $5 a month to get access to every single bonus episode. You also get advanced episodes of our show weeks before they go public. A free e-copy of our Amazon best-selling book, Real Ghost Stories, Haunting Encounters Told by Real People, and a whole lot more. Check it out, ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash real ghost stories. Worried about keeping up with your fave friends all summer? Or posting every perfectly pink sunset you see? Don't sweat the connect. You can have it made in the shade with four lines of unlimited data for $100 a month. Scroll the staycation pics, find your new go-to takeout spot, or catch some rays on video chat. Whatever you and the crew are into, all the data makes it all that much better. Smile. You're on Cricket. Cricket Core acquired on four lines. Data speed limited to three megabits per second. Cricket may slow data speeds when the network is busy. Additional fees, usage, and restrictions apply. 